thank you so much for joining me in this uh, session thing that I've decided to come up with. Um, as as I think I mentioned in the, the pitch that I sent you, uh, basically we're just trying to get an idea of different people's experiences during this uh, obviously sort of historic pandemic, um, just to sort of hopefully create maybe connections and see like some of the similarities and what people are dealing with and also, you know, some of the unique bits. So um, super happy that you were uh, up for taking my call. And uh, on that note, could you just introduce yourself to get things started? Hello, my name is Sean O'Callaghan, and I'm also known to a lot of people around the world by the name Fat Gay Vegan. I'm a vegan event planner, community organizer, freelance journalist, uh, what else do I do? I'm an activist and, um, I'm not, you know, just a friendly person. <laughs> uh, that I can definitely attest to that. I know we've, well, we've crossed paths, what, twice now, I think? Well, I first met you at Vida Vegan Con, the vegan bloggers conference in Portland. I can't yeah. remember what year that was. Your memory is better than mine. It was longer than we want to think it was. I, I honestly, I couldn't... I, I know it's longer than five years, but is it, is it, it's not longer than 10 years, like eight years, nine years. Yeah, I think so. Well, I talked to, um, I talked to Lee Chantel like before this, um, mm -hmm. and I think she was the one that introduced us. And, uh, I sort of, I started with like, well, hello, old friend. And she was kind of like old friend. And I was like, I mean, not in the sense that you're old, but we've known each other for a while. And she was like, well, we met, you know, we, I, we knew each other before BBC, but she was like, that was just a few years ago. I was like, no, 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 no. It was not a few years ago. Yeah. I mean, to me, that seems like a lifetime ago. I mean, everything before this lockdown seems like a lifetime ago, but that really feels like another place and time. And that yeah. was around the time that I'd only really just started blogging and... I, I think I'd maybe given up being a teacher to try and become like a, mm. you know, a force within the vegan scene. But mm. that was a long time ago because I didn't even have an Instagram account back then. And I can remember going to like on the final day of um, the conference in Portland, I can remember we all went to a vegan pub and I ordered a box of donuts from Voodoo Donuts um, to take yeah. to share with everybody. And I, so many people were saying to me, hey, what's your Instagram handle? Let me follow you. And I was like, what? I don't have one. <laughs> and I'd already been like blogging for a year yeah. or two. And I was, felt so out of the loop. And so my first ever Instagram post was I was sitting in the back of this pub. I can't remember what it was called, the, the vegan bar oh. in um, Portland. And I downloaded the app, the Instagram app. And my first post was a photo of the donuts. <laughs> uh, that I bought to share and so I always remember that when people yeah. you know people always do these things on social media like oh what was your first post on Twitter or Instagram I only remember that because I downloaded the app yeah. during that conference where I met you <laughs> I am um, I actually I can't remember this might have been the second um second year that they did it um I actually did a road trip with uh Dan Hanley from the gay vegans and during the trip, like we drove from, um, I think it was from Denver to Portland. And, you know, I was talking to him about Instagram and why I liked it and everything. And he actually signed up like on that trip. So I, I, I mean, VBC has since kind of passed on, but they maybe they should have been trying to get some royalties out of Instagram for just signing uh, people up. Yeah, I think that was the, the thing that I learned the most out of that conference <laughs> was that <laughs> the power of Instagram and why I was an yeah. idiot for not having it. <laughs> I, uh, I started using Periscope, I think during the second one, uh, I have since stopped for sure. But, um, yeah, for a little while that was like the hip thing, I think around the time of one of the conferences. And I remember I used it like when I was, uh, actually, I think it was the last one, maybe, because I used it while I was like at the airport going to like somewhere else. I think that was like my first stream, and um, I posted them all to my YouTube channel, but they're all like terrible, like quality because it was like streaming, like you know, yep. years ago. But some of them have actually still been getting views, and I just want to be like, no, there's like I did this, I did this Periscope of like trying this Upton's Naturals um, 
like jackfruit thing or something. And when you watch it, like it's terrible. And I've done way better, like not amazing, but better quality videos since. <laughs> and this is still getting all these hits because people want to see me eating a jackfruit taco or something. And I'm like, no, it looks horrible. It's like 240p or something. Like nowhere near high definition or anything. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh, this is not how to represent my channel. <laughs> and are we are we going to start TikToking now? Are you at that stage of your career? <laughs> no, I can't. I can't do it. Um, I just, I'm, although I told you that I was dancing when we were, the Skype call was going in. Um, yes. Just, I, you know, although I have, I have enjoyed the fact that, I don't know if you saw it, but um, the part of like the, the movement here in Vietnam around this pandemic and everything is some of, they did this like song and, and it kind of, I guess it kind of blew up and partially was because of this, uh, I get fairly well-known dancer on TikTok did like a whole thing to it and like and I mean I watched it I'm like yeah that's pretty smooth but I'm like I don't that's not I don't want to do it no well when things like that are fun when it's uh the first wave but when things get diluted <laughs> and you've got like you know people in like rural England trying to recreate a dance that was created uh, in Southeast Asia, <laughs> it starts to become a little uncool. I mean, we're keeping it very old school here via Skype when there are all these like new fandangled <laughs> platforms that we could be investigating. But I like the, the old timey feel of yeah. <laughs> this connection. And isn't that weird that Skype feels like the old, you know, grandparent of the scene of the, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. the, the, the synchronous connection. I know. And I mean, it's like, really this is this is yeah like it's it for some reason i don't know why but the fact that like i even have to open like the program on my computer whereas you know i'm used to like facebook or within whatsapp or whatever doing the video call and now i'm like oh gotta start up skype and every time i open it it's like totally different like and then they're like oh you gotta download a new update and i'm like really why what do you you're not improving this program at all just leave it alone <laughs> like i'm using it so i can record video and for whatever other reason, but yeah, oh well. Yeah. Um, so on that note, though, thankfully, it lets us connect with people pretty much around the world. Um, I mean, I guess they've done Skype calls in space. I'm not sure what they use for that. Uh, but for me, it's around the world. That's my limit so far. Uh, and on that note, where are you right now? I'm currently in lockdown in Mexico City. Uh, the capital city of Mexico, and I'm I'm here on vacation. So I have been I have been coming here over the last few years, um, like a big chunk out of each year. I've been staying here, but it just so happens that I'm here during the pandemic, so I can't leave. <laughs> <laughs> so did you did you debate going back? Because like London's home otherwise, right? Well. Um, <laughs> I don't really have a home. It's a very complicated story. Yeah. But um, okay. you know my, uh, my longtime partner, Josh. Mm -hmm. uh, Josh and I have been together 20 years, but we actually uh, decided to end our relationship almost two years ago now. Mm. Uh, but we'd still been, you know, living together, sharing an apartment in Mexico when we were here. But my only house in the UK was we used to stay with his mom in in London. Yeah. So the, I've been here long enough now that I don't actually have a base in London, even though it's my permanent residence. And yeah. I still use Josh's mum's address and she lets me stay there, of course. It's not my house. So mm -hmm. the plan was to move back from Mexico from this vacation stay and move back and find my own place. But while I was in the midst of um, working that out, the pandemic hit. I, so I don't have anywhere to go back to at the moment. And yep. obviously you need to isolate if you go to a new country and I yep. wouldn't have anywhere to stay in the UK. And it's not fair to ask people, oh, hey, <laughs> I'm, like I'm traveling across 15 time zones. Can I come and stay in your spare room? Yep. And so I'm kind of stuck in limbo in Mexico and I'm also isolating and in lockdown on my own. So I'm in an apartment that uh, I'm paying all the rent and all the bills on my own and I don't have any real income because I lost my job because of the 
um, the global crisis. Mm-hmm. So I'm living on scraps of money that come in each month. I mean, you know the feeling of being a freelancer and um, I'm also yep. living on credit card and um, I'm not a religious person, but I'm living on hopes and dreams. <laughs> so maybe not prayers, but um, hopes yep. and dreams. And I just really need to hang on through this period until I can get back to the UK. Yeah. I'm originally from Australia, but once again, I haven't lived in Australia for more than 10 years. So yeah. I don't have like somewhere to go back to there. I don't have somewhere to go and stay. Uh, the Australian government has made it be that if you go back, you have to be in isolation in a hotel for two weeks. Yeah. I'm not sure who pays for that, but I certainly couldn't. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, so my best bet, uh, the m- most affordable and manageable option is for me to stay here. Yeah. I, have, um, I have a boyfriend, a partner now, who is Mexican, but I can't see him either because, um, you know, I, I can't go out of the house. Yeah. And I'm not sure how long the official quarantine sort of time is going to last here, but we've been told it was until the end of April, but now we've been told that Mexico City, people won't be allowed to go back to work until June 25. Mm. So it's, <laughs> I'm, I'm met, I've been here a month already on my own. I might have another two months up my sleeve, so I'll have to yeah. wait and see. What, um, so what's the visa situation there? Like regularly, what, what, how long of a visa could you have? Okay, the tourist visa is six months. Oh, and okay. so my plan was to go back when my tourist visa was up at the very beginning of June. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't look like I'll be able to leave. Uh, yep. There are no flights. There, uh, you know, any flights that there are, even just before the lockdown, the flights were like three to four times the price of what they would normally be. Yeah. And there's, I don't have the funds to do that. Um, I'm reading all, I mean, during these sorts of situations, not that, you know, we have precedents to base this on, but yeah. um, there's so many rumors and things that you hear like, oh, maybe this is what's happening. or may-. So the latest thing I've heard is that the Mexican government is, isn't going to enforce or penalize anyone for overstaying that six-month tourist because yeah. they understand people can't leave. But I don't even know how to check on that. I mean, there's no, at the best of times, you couldn't get through to anybody in an official office or capacity in Mexico anyway. And during yeah. like a global crisis, there's no way of getting the official word from anybody. So my uh, best hope is that um, I can just overstay and um, sort it out when I'm able to leave. Yeah, yeah. I um, Like for me, I came in here the beginning of March, uh, and I'm on a three month visa. And that's, uh, as a Canadian, that's like the longest I can get. Uh, if you're coming from the States, you can do a year. I think they're the only ones maybe. Um, so I, I had planned on being here until like the end of May. And then I had a trip booked back home. Well, my parents booked a trip. I don't have the cash to do it. Um, and then, yeah, so I flew in and like things are going relatively well here in Vietnam, like surprisingly well. Um, but part of that is because, you know, they like started closing the borders down pretty quick. Mm-hmm. And um, like I flew from Thailand on March 3rd. And at that point, I was kind of like, am I going to be able to get in? Like my partner is here. She's Vietnamese. And I was like, you know, what's going to happen? So kind of keeping an eye on the numbers around Vietnam to be like, is Thailand going to become the next like, all right, we're locked out. Like mm-hmm. you're too risky country. And um so now like i'm good for a while um and i'm like i'm not even trying to deal with immigration or anything because i know that like you said like they've just got they've got a lot of other things going on there yes. are people in way more severe situations um i know that at least here they have kind of given them like a, a free pass like if your visas uh if you're overstaying right now they're like we're just not gonna penalize you for it um for one thing the immigration office is closed right now so you can't even like go and deal with anybody um apparently uh, for the most part here you have to go through a third party like a visa agency which of course Mm -hmm. is maybe partially more of a money thing than anything Mm -hmm. um so i guess some people on some of the 
like expat groups have been saying that the prices are going up. Like people are quoting like a lot more than what it was say like four months ago to get a visa. Um, So I'm just kind of holding out and waiting. Like I'll see what happens come next month. Um, I mean, right now I, I could technically, I think fly back to Canada. Uh, It would be, you know, a patchwork of, I don't even know where I would go. Um, Mm -hmm. The embassy has been sending out sort of updates only lately, like the last week before that they've been silent. Um, I'm kind of like, okay, these are the flights that are leaving like Saigon and Hanoi. And basically they go like from here to like LA um, or San Francisco and then connect in Vancouver. And then like you figure it out from there. But in Canada right now, if you fly in, you have to have a two week isolation plan. Okay. Yep. If they don't, if they don't think it's suitable, then they will put you in a place. Um, and as far as I know, they will pay for it. It's the same thing here. They're actually the government is paying for uh, like your because right now anyone that flies in and for the last couple months, I think if you flew into Vietnam, you went immediately to quarantine for two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm pretty sure they cover that. There was an option to upgrade though, so you could like go to a resort if you want it. Oh um, really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sounds well, great. <laughs> I know, and I think I think it was sort of an interesting twist because it kind of also helps out some of the tourism places here because yeah. obviously all of them are like empty. Um, so yeah, you basically like you could pay for the upgrade. Uh, your your food and board is okay. I think your testing as well, but like your treatment mm-hmm. was what you would have to pay for. Um, obviously, here it would be relatively cheaper than say uh, a lot of other places. But yeah, yeah. like I'm. I'm I'm sitting here because the thought of doing that whole trip to go back home and then having to like sit up in the loft in my parents' place and like and that's another thing. I mean, I don't want to put anybody else at risk. Like, yeah. to take the risk of doing like an international flight, possibly with multiple stops, is going to put me in a very high risk category. Mm-hmm. Even if I remain asymptomatic and I don't become ill from it, I could very well pass on. Yeah, uh, the virus to anybody I pass along the way or anyone I, I see because even with the two-week isolation I don't think it's been proven that you're not um, a carrier or a transmitter of the virus I mean we really don't know how all of this yeah. works yet so I, I thought it was um, a safer bet for everybody I know to stay here uh, the thing that concerns me the most is the healthcare situation um, yeah. I'm not, my Spanish is pretty terrible, but I think I read yesterday that obviously Mexican nationals will be given preference oh, when okay. it comes to if you become sick and there are, you know, 10 Mexicans in the waiting room in front of you with the same condition, they'll be given preference. And I'm like, okay, fair enough. They all pay tax, tax and they built this country and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, their public systems are a result of their revolution, which I didn't help with. <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, I'm quite concerned. And also I, I looked at the, my travel insurance that I normally use doesn't cover COVID-19. Uh, oh. None of the travel insurance, just general travel insurance do. Um, so I looked at my only option would be getting private health insurance, maybe through a U.S. company, but it's about three or 400 U.S. dollars a month. And I... <laughs> actually have not enough money to pay my rent each month without my credit card because of the crisis. So that is just something I can't do. And that's why I'm just staying indoors 24 hours a day and not going outside because I can't financially take the risk of um, becoming ill here. And um, I also don't want to go through that. Like I've had pneumonia before in the past. And so I'm in a very high risk category and being um, a slightly larger gentleman that pushes the risk up even higher. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that's why as difficult as it is being alone um, and not seeing like my boyfriend or not seeing, you know, anybody here for a month, it, to me, if this has to happen for three months and I don't die, oh, well, that's a good trade-off. <laughs> <laughs> and also not just dying, but I don't die in p- massive pain and alone with no one being allowed to see me. Yeah, you know, so I'm just I'm just getting on with it best I can here. Yeah, I think, and I mean that's you know, unfortunately, I guess that's kind of like sort of the way you have to look at it. Is I mean, it's either like there's the risk of you, or like you said, there's also the risk of other people. So it's like I mean, at the end of the day, if what you're being asked to do is sit at home, um, there, you know, in terms of historical 
tragedies and everything, there are far worse things that people have been asked to do to like save the world mm-hmm. than sit at home. And the funny thing is for me, like we've had restrictions here for months now, like not so much on the like extreme social distancing, which kind of started this month. Um, but there have been like various restrictions in terms of businesses that were open and everything. And like mm-hmm. the, the thought of going to a movie or a restaurant to sit down and eat just seems really weird now. Um, but I mean, in Canada, like it only started last month and I feel like a week in the media was already like, when's this going to be over? When, yeah. when can we go out? And I was just like, really, it's been a week. Come on. And it's winter in Canada. Like calm down. Well, how about the protesters in, uh, Wisconsin and, uh-huh. They're Is in Vancouver Wisconsin? too. Uh, okay, and they're, they're in Michigan. They're march- yeah, Michigan. Sorry, and they're marching around like, you know, our civil liberties are being, yeah. you know, like taken away from us, and we want to go outside. And it's like, okay, like, is it? We might not all agree politically. We might not yeah. all agree on certain things. But can we all just, for once, believe science? And it's not a big stretch. I mean, you can see the numbers of people dying. It's not like you're being asked to believe in something you can't physically see. Uh, it's tangible. There are real deaths all over the world. You know, just, you know, take it on board. I mean, that's one of the reasons also why, um, like, I don't go outside. Obviously, we talked about um, because, you know, I want to take responsibility as a community member. It's not just about protecting myself, but I might make other mm-hmm. people sick um but i don't you know like i don't get too upset about people who have to go outside because if they don't go outside they have no money to feed their family but i yeah. do get upset about people who have the option not to and then they march around like well i can do whatever i want you know that's to me is um it's the opposite of being a, a caring citizen or a caring mm-hmm. community member it's like it's a form of violence yeah, it's it's funny because, I mean, I guess, well, based on where I am, I can't talk a lot about the government um, <laughs> in, in some ways. I have been praising them a fair bit and like people at home, especially are like, well, I mean, that's if the numbers are true. Um, I feel like if things were really off, I could tell, like, yeah, like you said, like there would be obvious signs. I mean, it's a country of 95 million people like if things were going to go bad here, they would just like, they would go bad. And I mean, Saigon, I think is like, I don't know, eight to 10 million people or something like Mm -hmm. it's not, it wouldn't be something you could like push under the rug. But, um, in some ways I feel like the fact that this is kind of, um, like a single party system and has been for a while. And obviously like there's a lot of other sort of past tragedies that have happened here that, you know, people have had to kind of get through. And I'm like in no way an expert in the Vietnam history, like definitely not. But some of the pieces I've read about like to praise, you know, the way things have gone here have kind of mentioned Mm -hmm. that fact that like, because there seems to be like maybe a little less like pushback on the government. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously there's different reasons for that. Uh, But it seems like when they did kind of step up and say, all right, look, like we're going to do this. We're going to shut down the borders for these places. We're going to do these things. We need the country to come together and like, Mm -hmm. you know, wear masks, stay home, blah, blah, blah. I feel like the staying at home part hasn't really totally taken effect. Like I've been getting anxiety to go out to the market because I'm inside for days. And then I step Mm -hmm. out and there's like old men playing backgammon and like people eating noodles and like, karaoke still happening here like every weekend i can hear some guy down the road singing his lungs out and i'm just like mm. but in general like i feel like people were like all right this is what we have to do let's do it but yeah. because of say the mentality like in the states and i think canada has it to some parts and because there's the different parties there's also that like oh well this is just you know like Right now, Justin Trudeau is a little left, not nearly as much as I'd want him to be, but a little uh-huh. more so than the other parties. And like the people for the other parties are like, well, this is all just, you know, it's a big mess and like he's going to ruin the economy and da da da. And so there's those divisions. And I mean, the same thing in the States, right? Very much about the freedom of self, but thinking more about the community instead of yourself, I think again is definitely sort of like an Asian cultural thing too. So this concept of like, well, I don't want to get other people sick, even if I might be yeah. fine. 
Whereas I feel like, because at home I was fighting with people about wearing masks and stuff, and they were just like, I don't care, it's not going to help me from being sick. I was like, but it's not about you. Yeah. It's about other people from getting it. And I'm like, you just kind of got to just flip the switch and think about it in a different way. It's very hard for people who have been socially conditioned into, I mean, sort of like neoliberal politics, you know, and putting the, uh, the self first have been not, they're not just an idea, but they've been an indoctrination for decades now. Really, they uh, got pushed on a big, in a big way in the world, like during the Thatcher and Reagan years. And they were pushed on countries um, that weren't under the rule of those leaders either. So, you know, they sent academics and mercenaries to countries to try and get them to agree that this was the best way to live. And so, you know, all through, like, if you're talking about US history, like all through, like, the Clinton and uh, Bush and Clinton years, and then the Bush years again, <laughs> it was training people to think that they are the most important and then their family are the second most important at yeah. the expense of everything else. And that's where we're at. All around the world, people have been conditioned over decades to believe that that's the way to live. You get as much as you can, and that equals success. Yeah. And people can't see that not having 10,000 people in your neighborhood die is success. You know, like they think, well, I didn't die, so it is successful. <laughs> and, you know, that's quite uh, disheartening, to say the very least. And just trying to, you know, get people to have that change in thinking is extremely difficult when it's taken decades to get them to be that way in the first place, even longer. Yeah. And then you've got you know, colonial attitudes and conquistador attitudes where people are like, well, this all belongs to me because we won it or we won it in a war or we conquered it. I mean, you can't change these people's mind like that. I mean, people in Australia are refusing not to go on the beach. So the local councils and governments have put fences up yeah. to stop people going on the beaches. People are climbing the fences with their surfboards, screaming out, this is my beach, you can't take it away from me. And I'm like, well, actually, dude, uh, it's not your beach. It's Aboriginal land. And if you want to get yeah. into that argument, which, you know, it's just like nonsensical that people yeah. are acting like their personal enjoyment for a month or two is more important than even saving one life, let alone tens of thousands of lives. Yeah. And the thing that I find funny, like, and I said this, I tweeted this, I think, a little while ago, is that so many of these people that are complaining, like, I know full well that over the last year or two, they've been like just Netflixing every night and just coming out with the worst excuse to not go out and hang out with people. And now when the world is saying, please stay home, just chill out. Everyone's like, oh, huh, no, no, you can't tell me what to, I want to go see my friends and do this and do that. And I'm like, dude, if this was three months ago, you would have been like, no, man, I'm, I don't feel like it. And then eight hours later, you'd be like deep into, you know, breaking bad. Like, <laughs> it's, my, it, but it's so much that, right? Telling people they can't do something. Yeah. Suddenly they're like, well. Yeah. It's, and that, yeah, it's all ties into that. Uh, you know, people have this idea of exceptionalism, like their lives are more important or somehow they're more special mm -hmm. than everybody else. So things don't apply to them. And yeah, they, they're being told. And, and like what you're saying, like this all around the world, especially in um, countries such as the UK and Canada and the US and Australia, there has become a real polar division between uh, political outlooks. And so people believe that if somebody from one political persuasion is telling them what to do, they, they have the right to disagree with it and do the opposite because that's how they've been trained into thinking about yeah. politics. That, you know, well, actually, it's scientists and doctors telling you not to do this and they're apolitical. So you should do it. But it's, oh, no, no, no. You know, I mean, these people in um, uh, Michigan outside the, I think it was the state capital, but they were armed. They had... Mm -hmm weapons rifles oh. and guns I mean, uh, that's you know that's the states why? man are they gonna are they gonna shoot the coronavirus <laughs> but apparently I mean, the gun sales have gone up hey like oh, since yeah. this hit like toilet paper and well i mean toilet paper kind of around the world but guns in the states was like and that's the thing it's like what are you gonna I know. what are you gonna do and, with this 
you know, you're not going to have to shoot someone. I mean, the likelihood of that happening is so minuscule, but you are going to need to wipe your backside. You can't do that with a gun. <laughs> you are going to have Although, to drink something. You can't drink bullets. <laughs> I mean, if people, if people adopted the whole, well, I call it the bum gun. If people adopted the, you know, parts of the world have that already. Oh, and, yes. You know, if, if the Western world kind of picked it up, you'd need a lot less uh, toilet paper. Not, not to get into that part, but I found it funny that like everyone at home is like, oh my God, I got to hoard that stuff. And, then yeah. over and we could even look at the economics of it. It might even use less uh, water in the long run than the production of toilet paper. <laughs> but I am, um, it's funny because sort of talking again about kind of like the divisions and the perception and everything. So many people at home have been, you know, like writing me being like, oh, I hope you're safe and like, you know, whatever, and like, are you coming home and everything? I'm like, no. And I've just been, I've really been kind of pushing and being like, do you have any idea like how well things are going here and how much of a shit show it is back home? Like my home province is half a million people. It's bigger than Vietnam. And sometime this week, they're going to have more cases than Vietnam does. Which, okay. And it's an island. Like, in my head, I'm like, you had months. You could have just closed the border, shut down the ferry, and then everyone yeah. could have just waited it out. But I think a lot of this has to do with privilege and entitlement. I mean, in the UK and the US, um, I can speak to those experiences because I've been there, obviously live in the UK a lot, and I've traveled to the US a lot. I've never been to Canada. Um, and also in Australia, people have a sense of entitlement, and which leads to them putting themselves in danger because they believe their sense of entitlement or what belongs to them is somehow makes them more special and less at risk. Mm -hmm. And uh, in turn, sadly, that puts other people at risk, especially people who have less or are already vulnerable yep. in other ways. And then um, in turn are more vulnerable to the coronavirus. But, you know, middle class and up, white people, have a sense of entitlement like nothing else on the planet <laughs> and they think that their wealth and their uh their privilege that they enjoy is somehow a protection against something like this now obviously it's not i mean your um, prime minister was unwell uh, the uk prime minister was in intensive care mm -hmm. i mean this doesn't it's not something that money can stop if you get it you get it right i mean obviously healthcare is going to put you a better level of healthcare is going to put you in a better position to survive yeah but you know this idea that people are more exceptional than others because of the wealth intergenerational wealth they've hoarded and you know generations of genocide it's just I mean, I, I don't know what we can say about it anymore. I think if people don't come out of this crisis as like social justice warriors, like there's no hope for us, you know? Like if you don't come out of this and spend every minute of that you've got spare fighting for public hospital systems, I mean, you really weren't paying attention. Yeah. You know, what, what else do we have except being alive? Like we're locked inside. It doesn't matter if you've got two cars or three cars or you can vacation in a fancy, you're locked inside. And it might be for months or years. Yep. And if you don't have a health system, you'll die. You know, a health system that works. So if anything comes out of this, I hope it's that people see the importance of a well-funded, uh, respect, respectful to workers, public health care system that is funded by the people who need it, which is everybody. Yeah, I think it's is interesting because obviously that that has sort of been you know, one of the main topics in the States for the last while, like before, you know, this whole political thing kind of got to sort of sadly where it is now with the, the two choices. Um, uh -huh. But for, for the longest time, I mean, numerous people, uh, at least on the left, were kind of pushing these ideas. And then this comes along, and I don't want to feed in the conspiracy theories that, oh, well, isn't it convenient that this came along around that time? Um, because it's obviously bullshit, but uh, like it just kind of, to me, it proves that. But I feel like I'm willing to bet there are people on the other side that could twist it in a different way and be like, no, this obviously shows whatever, because... Oh, yeah. yeah. I don't know. I mean, it all depends, you know, again, like it depends on what you're reading and who you're believing and so much shit. But at the end of the day, people are still dying and it doesn't matter 
if they're red, blue, or left or right or whatever. I mean, here for a little, a little part of me was actually kind of finding it interesting that most of the cases here, um, although the media kind of pushed the, oh, it's all foreigners, most of the cases here were uh, well-to-do rich Vietnamese who were coming back from like going to fashion mm -hmm. week in like Paris or whatever, um, or being in New York and then hopping to London and blah, blah, blah. So a lot of the richer people here were kind of the first ones getting hit with it. And so part of me was kind of like, all right, I, I see what you're doing there, virus. You're, you're not caring about who it is. And, yeah. you know, and I was like, that's, that's, it's better than like a lot of the shit that happens in the world that, like you said, definitely targets. But I mean, now, like what's happening in the States and everything, it is sort of hitting more significantly lower income people and everything. And well, when it, whenever anything like, uh, yeah, close to a pandemic happens, yeah, no matter how it starts, like, you know, like rich people jetting around the world and spreading it, it is going to affect people who are lower waged or uh, living within like poverty sectors and who don't have access to health insurance. People who work day to day or week to week, they don't have the luxury of staying in their home, so they have to yeah. go out and in turn they're exposed to it. So that's when it becomes more of a social justice issue as well, not just a health issue or like a, you know, it's like a scientific issue. It becomes like a sociological sort of concern where you can look and say, hang on, this is disproportionately affecting African-Americans or, um, you know, people of color because they have, because of systemic and historic racism, they have less access to good jobs, um, mm -hmm. secure pay, uh, health insurance, healthcare, especially in the U.S., um, but all over the planet. I mean, this is, this is a phenomenon that happens. I mean, it's, you know, it's, uh, I mean, <laughs> there are so many problems to fix. Yeah. And that this is just highlighting them all. But of course, the people who hold the power are not invested in making those changes because it would involve giving up the power or yeah. giving up some of the power and privilege to help it be a more equitable um, society that we live in. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be a fight. And this is a reminder to all of us interested in social justice that, yeah, that's right. We have to fight for every scrap that is given to us. Nothing is ever given to us without a fight. And this is the biggest wake up call we could ever ask for. And, you know, we need to rededicate, regather, regroup. And, and like when we're able to go outside again, go and tear, <laughs> yeah. these, tear these systems down. Um, you know, it's hard when I talk about this sort of stuff and people go, oh, well, you're in Mexico and you're like living the life. And, you know, I'm low waged in, you know, I earn all my money through the UK. I pay all of my tax to the UK government and I'm low waged. Like I'm considered even before this crisis, I was considered low waged. Mm -hmm. And now I'm on about an eighth of the income that I was on before the crisis hit. I'm now here in Mexico because I can't afford to go back to the UK it's it, it's a society that's too expensive for me to live in. As a freelancer, I ha haven't yet been entitled to any of the um, the income yeah. protections that they're putting forward. Uh, I'm not with a full-time employer. Everything I do is um, as a sole trader, and I declare that in my tax, and I've been doing it for 10 years. Mm -hmm. But now I have no protections. And I'm here I'm spending time with my partner. Like That's just the the circumstance, why I'm here, but I'm a resident for tax purposes and other reasons of the UK, but I can't afford to go back. And I'm watching ridiculous things happen to the National Health Service. You know, people are now being asked to donate money to the National Health Service in the UK when it's something that we've all put taxes into for decades mm -hmm. to build up. The government, uh, the Conservative government has been trying or has it been in the process of privatizing it? And I don't know, I feel a bit hopeless. Like I'm, I'm over here, um, I'm not sure what I'd be able to do back there anyway. So I just try and use what little voice I have on the internet just to, I suppose, rally people in the meantime. Like, you know, until we can actually get out and do something yeah. more effective or more physical, just to remind people, hey, this is your national health system, this is what you need to do. And I try and, uh, you know, I don't remind people that I'm poor and low-waged 
for sympathy. I do it so my message doesn't get ignored because people think I'm talking of a place from a place of privilege. You know, I've been poor all my life. I was homeless when I was a kid. I've never been anything higher than what you'd consider working class. Mm -hmm. And um, and I can see now more than ever the importance of protecting our public institutions, such as health services. And, you know, I've kind of made a promise to myself that if I survive this, if I get through this, I'm going to dedicate my life to um, protecting the National Health Service in the UK, if that's where I end up living, if I'm allowed to go back. <laughs> yeah. uh, because, you know, they've saved my life before. Like, I almost died of pneumonia a number of years ago. Mm -hmm. And everybody has the right to healthcare. Everybody has the right to the dignity of having their life saved if they're in a critical condition. And then that's what the National Health Service, I mean, it's unbelievable they have to verbalise that. They have to tell some people that that's what we're entitled to, like basic human dignity. Yeah. And so I believe that I'd like to dedicate myself to that fight uh, when I get back to the UK. Yeah, for me, like, I, I don't even know. I mean, I think it's like a little while. Every now and then that meme goes around like, I don't know how to convince you to like care about other people or whatever. That's sort of like, it's so basic. Mm -hmm. There isn't an argument. Like, it should just be like, you just yeah. know. And yep. so for me, like when I see these debates, like in the States and stuff and like growing up in Canada, like I don't even feel like I should have to have reasons. I'm like, what, how is this even a debate? Like the idea is that the country as a whole protects the people and everyone kind of pulls a bit of money together to ensure that everyone can continue living. Like it's a fairly basic, I don't know. I just, yeah, and so when that debate debate comes up and everyone's like, oh, we can't do that, and I'm like, you have people that are like multi-multi-multi-billionaires, and if you just did like a 1% tax hike or something, or I don't know, cut mm -hmm. your military spending, <laughs> you'd have like so many solutions. But um, yeah, I feel, like, I feel like we could go on and on about this. Um, and, and I mean, we could, but um, I... I kind of wanted to maybe get a little more into like you personally um, mm -hmm. since since I know you've kind of been like self-isolating. So uh, maybe you might not be able to give me an idea of like how things have changed in Mexico. But um, I know we've touched on a lot and I'm just wondering like how how are you dealing with it yourself? Like how are you kind of coping? I know you're doing like a daily live stream. I've seen a couple of those and I thank you for kind of dropping the, the tofu name every now and then. Mm -hmm. um, but what, what have you been doing to at least kind of say, like, yes, I will continue this fight. We will, you know, hit the streets when we can. What's, yeah. like, your daily, all right. Okay, well, my, my main concern, of course, when I realized that I would be in isolation on my own was to keep busy and to keep some sort of structure. I can be, I'm not lazy, like, I'm a hard worker, but I can sometimes slip into... Uh, patterns that aren't the best for me if I don't have structure. Mm -hmm. So it was really important for me to understand that I had to have a daily routine. So I came up with the idea of doing the video, uh, the yeah. live streaming video daily on Facebook, which I call Vegan Quarantine. Uh, today will be Vegan Quarantine Day 32 <laughs> to give you an idea of how long I've been trapped inside. Um, and... The, the idea of the video was to give myself something to do, to make myself feel connected with my community, but to also give other people who might be struggling with isolation something to look forward to. Now, I'm not mm -hmm. saying I'm the most attractive, um, <laughs> you know, thing that there is on the internet or, like, the most exciting, but... Well, Game I'm of Thrones is over now. <laughs> so, I mean, there's a spot. I know. I shouldn't have shaved my beard off. I would have... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I would have uh, slotted in there very well. Yeah. But the idea that someone that I've been around for 10 years, so some people in the vegan community recognize my voice or my face and my presence, and it's just there every day. If people don't want to look at it or if they forget about it for a few days and then it pops up in their timeline thanks to the uh, draconian algorithms of Facebook, um, I sometimes show up in your timeline. 
people like, oh, yeah, there's that guy we know. There's that fat gay vegan. And oh, let's listen to him for a bit. And I, I give shout outs to independent vegan businesses that are still operating all around the world. I um, give shout outs to charities, especially vegan or animal related charities, um, charities or initiatives that are trying to raise food or money for um, frontline health workers and hospital workers in many countries. Mm-hmm. And I also give a shout outs like music recommendations, especially um, when I can find ones that I want to recommend independent vegan, uh, independent musicians. And so it's my way of just doing a little bit good instead of just existing here and looking after my own well-being, trying to put something back out into the world. I think it's really important. It does something for you when you help people. So, you know, I've had a few messages from people saying, oh, you know, you cheered me up or thank you for the video or thank you for mentioning my business. We got some more orders. So Mm -hmm. it does something for my mental health to know that I'm doing some good. If I was just existing here and I wasn't contributing in a positive manner to my community, I think I would be struggling a lot more than I am. So that's one of my ways of um, staying um, sort of mentally safe, but also contributing to um, the community um, at large is to do those videos. And I welcome like people to give me tips or, you know, if they want their business mentioned or if they just want to give a shout out. I also share recipes through that to give people ideas. I try and find recipes with like simple ingredients they might already have in the house or yeah. you know, inexpensive recipes. And um, I also go on a few political rants about the National Health Service and why we need to stop voting for politicians that hate poor people. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty universal statement to push. That's, I think, unfortunately, <laughs> it needs to be pushed, but yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, well, that was like, honestly, that was part of why I started this. I mean, my partner uh, went back to her hometown on like March 31st or whatever the last day of March was, you know, that <laughs> month, it seems like a year ago. Yeah. Um, she went back right before like the sort of lockdown that hit. So like she can't come back to the city yet and I can't go there. Um, so it's been like two weeks and a bit for me. Mm-hmm. Um and, like, I mean, with the house sitting I've been doing for the last few years, like, I've kind of gotten used to it. But there's usually animals around. Yeah. Um, and I can talk to them. But yes. there's no animals here at her place. And so she's gone. So, in general, it's just, like, me hanging out. And, yeah, I mean, I definitely had a bunch of days where I was just, like, I'm going to catch up on all the Netflix I didn't watch while she was here. Because, like, she doesn't like scary movies or whatever. So, uh-huh. like, bam, 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 just binge. And then I was, like, I know I need to do something else. And. I had some people like through some of the writing I've done about Vietnam and why I wasn't going home and everything. Some people were like, you know, thanks for like giving that perspective and everything. And, um, and I was like, all right, I think maybe I need to keep doing this. And I mean, because of time zones, I've had to like, my morning started at like five, five thirty this morning. Cause I had a chat scheduled for like six uh-huh. and I normally would not be getting up at that hour. I would not be thinking about getting out of bed, but now, because of these sessions and the scheduling, like the next couple of mornings, I'm getting up at like six. So, yeah, I've found that really important to have um, regular things that I do every day, like yeah. the video. Um, I mean, yours sounds a little bit more chaotic in that it, you know, you have to change depending on the time zone of your guest or the person you got to talk to. I've really forced myself to get into a pattern of regularity so I don't. Um, fall sort of fall between the cracks you know what I mean I can really get lost in the despondency of the situation I mean yesterday I I started to feel a bit despondent um, after they announced that we might be in lockdown to June 25 I started it really got me down but then I was like okay I've got to do my live video there are people I promised I'd mention their business and mm-hmm. um, I've, I've got an exercise bike in the apartment that's been hanging around unused for you know, a very long time. And I've every day of the lockdown, I've done an hour on the exercise bike. And more to give myself something to focus on and not not to be um not to be uh like, you know, super fit or lose weight and to be skinny gay vegan or anything like that, but to you know, to give myself some something to uh, discipline myself with, like to have a routine. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I 
I do the video every day and it takes me an hour to prep it. And then it's like 20 minutes to half an hour live stream. Then I do an hour on the bike. I make myself promise that I'll do all the dishes before I go to bed. And I just do these things to have a routine because after 30 days, 31 days of this, I don't know where my mind would be if I didn't do these routines. Yeah. So there's no, there's no issue of ants there. If you leave the dishes like that, I can't do that here. Like at home, I would have left the dishes for a few days, but yeah, between like here in Thailand, if I leave them for like a day, just ants. No, actually it's strange. You're saying that I haven't really ever, sorry. I haven't actually ever seen um, ants here. So, um, I mean, there are ants in Mexico. I'm not trying yeah. to be an ant, ant denialist, but um, I believe in science and ants. Um, but uh, no, I'm looking around hoping I don't see the ants. Um, no, they're never a problem like that. But I just find, like, even if there are just three dishes there, I'm like, okay, I made a promise to myself on day one that I'm going to do the dishes every day. Yeah. So I do that. And, you know, like I've had... Uh, you know, a few mental health issues uh, over the recent few years. And I've found things that work for me as small tools of management, you know, so things like having little things that I put into practice or like routines do help me. I mean, the exercise on the bike helps me and my mental Mm -hmm. health. Um, I have a very kind therapist who I can't really afford to see, but he's put my feed down to half price and we do it via Zoom. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, there's probably 20,000 other people listening into it with their data breaching and everything. But, you know, I'm not ashamed. I've got yeah. nothing to hide. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, so um, I could only afford to do therapy. Um, I could only afford to do therapy uh, once a fortnight, um, yeah. once every two weeks. And then even with that, he had to put the price down so I could <laughs> afford to keep doing that. Well, but they, I mean, they're it's... all my, my strategies. It's like, do what you know what works. Um, I'm trying to like, you know, I'm not one for like, you know, talking about, um, you know, be healthier by eating well. Um, like that's not been my mantra over the last 10 years as a vegan activist. I believe yeah. veganism is about saving animals and improving outcomes from non-human animals. I also believe in looking after people holistically, not just telling them what they're doing wrong, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, you know, there are lots of reasons like why I'm fat, you know, there are many, many reasons and none of them can be solved by telling me just to eat less. But <laughs> I, I have found during this that I have felt mentally better if I cut down on portions and stuff, just because it gives me, a, not because I feel like I'm eating less calories and I'm going to lose weight, anything like that, but I'm just trying to stay, like, have a feeling of being in control. Like, a, a lot of my mental health problems are related to feeling out of control. Yeah. And I'm just finding ways not to be, like, uh, push myself into a level of, like, discomfort and controlling things out of discomfort. But I'm just trying to have some structure. And that's like, okay, that's how much I need to eat today. And that's what I'm doing. And, um, of course, I have days where I'm, I feel, like, a little bit, like like a treat or I eat half a tub of chocolate or whatever, but <laughs> I, I am trying to just maintain a balance, which weirdly I would never have done before this crisis. Bef- yeah. Before I was trapped with my own thoughts and my own reality and nothing else for 24 hours a day, there were so many distractions and things that I couldn't get a handle on that I'm actually, you know, maybe finding some sort of control that I've never been able to find before in my life. Yeah. So, um, you know... Sort of a silver lining, I guess, slightly. Not really, because I'd rather be outside <laughs> and eating a packet of, like, you know, cook- cookies every hour. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, and I mean, I know I in no way talk about, like, the food management or anything like that in any way that it's, like, healthier for me, because I don't know if I'm eating well. Like, yeah, I yeah. don't know about nutrition. I'm not, you know, a scientist. I know that what I need to get through the day, but I'm... You know, it really is just a way, another thing for me to feel in control of when everything feels out of control. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I guess talking about eating, maybe, maybe not. But um, to kind of wrap this up, when when the world does get the green light, if that happens, whenever that happens, uh, what are you going to do on your first day, your first big day out? Probably just have a quiet day at home, you know. <laughs> Put my feet up, enjoy the silence. 
Um, and just be like, all right, last quarantine video, done. Well, it's hard for me to think that that's how it's going to happen, that it's just going to go from one day to the next that we're all going to be out. I think they'll, a lot of governments yeah. will stagger release of people, like um, certain people will be told to go back to work. People will be very hesitant about mixing again in, in certain spaces. I mean, my, my number one priority is to feel uh, appreciated and loved. You know, I want to see my boyfriend and I want to I be around people that, you know, think I'm a nice person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because I don't always think that about myself when I'm on my own. Yeah. And uh, my only company has been the birds on the balcony, which I've been putting seed out for. Because, you know, in times like this, it's, um, it's hard for the local birds, to, especially urban birds, to find food to scavenge. So I've been putting seed out for them, but I'm becoming too involved in their drama. Like I'm looking at them now. They've like grabbed my attention. And it's like, I can see who's dominant at the moment. I, yeah. I joked on Twitter yesterday and said, it's like the real bird housewives of Mexico city. I can just like see all the drama that's going on. <laughs> so yeah, I need to, I, my, my priority is to find some human interaction, have some interpersonal yeah. relationships again. <laughs> uh what about i mean like a month or so down the road do you think do you think you'll be getting back into traveling or maybe heading back well well, i need to get back to the uk i need to um, find a way to strengthen my financial situation i have little to no income Mm -hmm. i i've I've, you know i've not embarrassed by it but it's a little bit awkward i've had to put a link on my daily videos asking people for uh, donations because i have to pay the rent and pay the internet bill and buy my food here Yep. Um, I know I'm in a better position than a lot of people on the planet, most people on the planet, that I have an apartment to stay in. But the reality is we live in a capitalist society and I have to pay these bills. Um, yep. So I started only yesterday. I put a link to ask for donations. Um, but I need to go back to the UK and get another job because a lot of the work I do as a freelancer, especially as a vegan freelancer, it can be a bit thin on the ground at the best of times. <laughs> and so in this current climate, I mean, it's just all dried up. So I need to try, along with like millions of other people, I need to try and get another job that gives me a regular income so I can look after myself, look after the people I love and keep contributing to society. And, um, you know, my my boyfriend here wants to move to the UK with me, so I have all of those expenses which run into thousands and thousands of pounds, um, the, you know, related to like visa applications and relocation yep. fees. So I need to have an income to help, you know, to do that. Yeah, well, um, I mean, yeah, I guess I wish you the best of luck. And I hope thanks. I hope the next time we talk, it's face to face without, you know, concern for social distancing and all that. And wherever, wherever it happens, I mean, I'm sure there will be some vegan food involved and we can talk politics again. <laughs> Yeah, on the other on the other side of the workers' revolution. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> In the after times, when everything's way better than it is now and it was before, um, I think your ma- your magazine can be our manifesto. We'll hand it out at all the rallies. <laughs> if the internet's still in existence, people will be able to get it. We'll we'll see what happens. I mean, I guess everyone, the printing press will always run. Everyone will have to read tofu, and everyone will have to eat tofu after the revolution. You might be headed down a scary road there, dictating. <laughs> <laughs> we'll save that for another discussion at another time. Uh, for now, yeah, thank you so much for joining me. And um, I hope that people check out your vegan quarantine, which, I mean, I guess in some ways I hope does not run that much longer. But uh, I'm glad that you're doing it. And I'll be, I'll be checking it out when it shows up, when the Facebook gods deem it so for me to see it. Um, don't I, don't comment don't comment on it because I don't want to get like tarnished with your bad luck with Facebook. <laughs> You're uh, always getting blocked and diminished. <laughs> yeah, yeah, seriously. Um, but yeah, actually, I, I, you're like the second person I will tell. It's it's been going good for the last like week or two. So okay. maybe, maybe whatever whatever was happening, maybe it's over. It was only three months long, but maybe it's over. Um, but we'll see. But, okay, well, yeah. best, best of luck with that. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you. And uh, I hope the rest of your day goes good. Obviously, you have 
you have more of the day left than I do. <laughs> yes, yeah, we're kind of early here. So, yeah, I'm going to enjoy some bird drama, do my live video, do the exercise bike, and then portion out some rice and vegetables for dinner. <laughs> All right, well, well, have as much fun as you can with that. And I will, uh, I'm going to be sure to check out your Twitter feed because I want to know what's up with those birds too. So, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's very interesting. You'll get you'll get sucked in. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, then I will talk to you later and uh, have a good day. Thanks, Ryan. Bye. Thanks.